welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. So tonight's guest, I'm waiting for her to pop up here on the side, is uh, she has Instagram, Miss Tanner has an uh, Instagram account called Teach Miss Tanner. She teaches in Florida, but she's from Missouri. And we have... Uh, I followed her on Instagram for a while, and I'm really excited to have her on this evening to be able to talk about um, classroom management. Classroom management is what we're going to start out with, and then we'll kind of go from there. I know this is a big topic that I've been getting a lot of questions on so far this year because, you know, it's the beginning of the year, and you're like, people are sweating it, that your class is just going to turn terrible, and everyone's going to realize you never should have been a teacher at all, and your family's going to go, see, told you, you should have just, I don't know kept that job at Hallmark. Nothing against Hallmark. These people are wonderful. All right, so I'm guesting her in now. And then this is going to work tonight easily. We'll just jump right into it. Do 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 waiting. Super hot New Jersey today. I'm just going to say that while this is on. We went out antique shopping today. Miss Tanner. Hello, how you doing? How are you? I'm you doing all right. Yes, I hear you. All right. Um, thanks for doing this this evening. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Especially since you're back in the classroom already, which, uh, you know, we don't go back till next month. So it's oh. it's wild. It's one of the, my favorite things about YouTube and, and Instagram is seeing how different everyone else's schedules are and how different their schools can be and mm -hmm. their relationship with their coworkers. All that stuff is really, it's really interesting. So real quick, before we get into this, could you, um, would you mind like introducing yourself, say like who you are, where you teach, that sort of thing? Okay, sure. Um, my name is Darian Tanner. I um, live in Orlando, Florida, but I teach high school in a city called Kissimmee, Florida. I'm originally from East St. Louis, Illinois, and I spent 11 years in Michigan. I actually taught two years middle school in Michigan, and then I moved here around six years ago. And so now I'm on, I'm on my seventh year going into my teaching high school um, here in Florida. So that's kind of a little bit about um, me in regards to my teaching career. That's how, so um, that's a really big change. All the way from Michigan down to to Florida. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I like the weather in either one of those locations too much. <laughs> but I live in New Jersey. So we don't have like, we have, our, we have like five perfect days a year and that's about it. Then it's either just too cold or too hot. Yeah. Um, so as we're getting into this, I, I want to ask, as you're beginning the school year, you've been back for you said it's your second week now. Um, <clears throat> what has, how have you laid the groundwork for classroom management? How do you set the tone? What does that look in the beginning of the year to, for you to like set your expectations out to the, so the students know, you know, what they're going to get when they walk into your classroom? Can you, can you walk us through a little bit? Um, well, I'm a pretty structured um, person. I teach high school, so, so it's like elementary and middle school. It's more about relationship building. And as I told you yesterday, respect doesn't come automatically anymore. And so when I was in school, as soon as you saw a teacher, it was automatic respect. This is an adult, but now that's not the case. And so I kind of have to be a little bit strict those beginning days. And so the 
Funny thing is the first two days of school, I do not go over rules. I don't go over policies. What we do is something, uh, we do critical piece. And so I introduce myself, I tell a little bit about who I am, but I don't mention cell phones. I don't talk about um, classroom seating or anything. We just build relationships those first days. And then we next week, it's almost like it's fluid. I mean, it happens automatically because they spent time with me. We worked critically. We did some team building. The trust automatically. Now I can bring in the rules and the policies because now they kind of know who I am just a little bit, just off those two days. So that's kind of what I, I work around. I do a lot of discussion and talking with my students um, because again, they're in high school and they're able to understand certain things. So I'm strict in teaching about respect, but as far as the methods and things that I use, I kind of go from a relationship-based um, standpoint and then I go into the structure and all of that. So th that's kind of my little trick. I never mention rules or anything at the very beginning. I kind of open up, we can talk about, we have discussion, we have relationship, um, uh, of our relationship and the, then I kind of delve in on the rules and the policies um, from that did, standpoint. Was it always like that in your classroom or did you start like, so when you first started teaching your first few years, mm -hmm. was it exactly the same as that or did you change at some point? It's always been that way um, because, um, believe it or not, Michigan State University and Michigan State kind of, um, it was sort of talked. Um, they kind of talked about having a relationship with students. And I also, my t um, teacher mentor, when I had to do my year internship in Michigan, she was the same way. So I do early on. And so it was nothing that I really learned per se. I didn't go right into the classroom my first year with the structure-based rules, policies. Nothing's wrong with that. But having seen my mentor do it and kind of be taught that way in Michigan State, it was something that I did my first year of teaching. Yeah. it's uh, So how do you... Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to get a sense because I hear what you're saying is very, very consistent with who I am, which so mm -hmm. I'm not... I would, I feel like I would be like largely reiterating what you're saying if I, if I, if I had any of these so far. So, um, but I have one more question for you in terms of how, how do you build relationships? Like, what does that look like inside the classroom or outside of the classroom? Or, um, what's kind of, what's your favorite way to, to make that happen with students? Um, honesty is the big, um, I am in the school system, but I, explain to the students sort of the truth behind certain things. I explain to them that I understand that they may not need the content. I explain that the certain things that they have issues with in school may be true, but I also explain to them the significance of having, having education and figuring a way around that. And so I, I think being authentic about what I teach and why they're there is one of the things that open up the key. So we understand, okay, I teach English, I teach reading and writing. <laughs> So there's not a lot of, um, a lot of my students, they hate reading, they hate writing. It's not their favorite subject. But if I come to them with an authentic voice and I'm explaining to them, yes, you may not need to know Shakespeare um, life, but I explain to them the significance of it and explain that I'm trying to help them. But again, my teaching is content. It's all also about life skills and different things. And so when you blend in things that matter to them with the content, you kind of have a, a leeway to that, to the actual trust issue. So we talk about life, we talk about relationships every once in a while. So you blend that in with Shakespeare, with other things, and you kind of gain their trust that way. But I think it's about being authentic from the beginning and explaining to them that I'm not some some robot or some 
dictator trying to you know ruin their lives because we're at school but they understand from that standpoint we have to do school but i also understand from your perspective that you may not like certain things, but we have to do it. we have yeah. have to do realistic about really why they're in school so yeah. especially yeah. high school that's a that's a great answer i i one of my things that i get a lot is so i teach uh i teach ninth grade literature uh mm -hmm. at all boys school so Back to school night, I, I, every year I get moms that wait in a long line just to come up and tell me that their son hates reading and that they're gonna, I'm going to have a problem this year getting mm -hmm. him to do the work, which I, my answer is always like, oh, that's great. Like, I'm, I'm, I kind of love when kids don't like reading because now I get to be the best teacher that you ever had and I make it all about me. Instead. And it kind of takes, it kind of like uh, takes that moment up a little bit. But in reality, like if you never liked reading and now class, I'm going to try to everything I can to get a book in front of you or to get um, to make my class the class that you are excited about coming to. And if you're excited about coming to it, then you have to be doing the work like you're there's mm -hmm. no chance you're not going to read that day. And mm -hmm. that's all I'm ever trying to get them to do. And, and I agree in terms of content, you know, one of my. I talked about this. I think I talked about this last week or, or the week before, but um, it, it bears repeating. But when I read Shakespeare, I compare Shakespeare to a hundred different things that the kids would actually know about, right? So mm -hmm. whether it's a TV show that they're watching or it's a song that they like. So last year, we uh, there was a J. Cole song that came out that all of my students get listening to. I heard it over and over and over again in the, in the hallway. So I put out all of the lyrics to the song and I gave it out to them. And I said, I want you to circle all the words that my grandmother would have no idea what they meant. So they did. Mm -hmm. So like every word that was slang, they would circle it. And then I'd say, now you have to put like a word that, you know, my grandmother would know in there or, or your grandmother, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. and, and, and they would. And that kind of blows their mind. When I say like in 500 years, no one's going to know what they're talking about. No one is going to ever have a clue what Snoop was talking about in any song ever because he just made, they're not, not real words. He just mm -hmm. made things up. And that's, yeah. it, it's fun, right? And so that's the idea behind that. Mm -hmm. is that we're just trying to have fun with what we're saying. But 100 years, I mean, jokes I used two years ago in school or, or goofy things that I did or songs that I used, no one listens to those anymore. You have to keep changing. And I think, uh, teaching kids through that lens of like, here's something, you know, now I'm going to mm -hmm. connect to whatever I, I need you to know is all world. It's like, that's how you do it. And in terms of relationships, I think it shows like, this is how, this is how much I care. I don't listen to yeah. a lot of the music that I use in class, but I'm willing to listen to it. I'm willing to watch those movies and those TV shows just yeah. so that you know that I'm, um, I like, I want, I'm not, I don't just want to be down. I want to be like, I want you to know this is how I'm willing to go yeah. to do this. Yeah. Uh, so there's our first question of the night is you just picked the one with the name that I was <laughs> never going to get. Um, I apologize in advance to this viewer. Pranav Chadhari said, I, I bet you got that right too. That's fine. My guess is. So, um, the question is, what kinds of behaviors, behavior incentives are good to use for middle or high school students? Do you use any sort of incentives in your classroom, students to act or behave? I'm sorry, can you repeat that question? Sure. So, like, what sort of incentives 
do you find work uh, behavior incentives for high school students? Is, are there any incentives that you use to kind of like keep kids in line or to like promote good behavior in your classroom? Um, I tried the reward system. Um, it was at Trinity. Um, I tried it and it didn't work. So it was a system it would have a, they could win a free uh, well, get a free pass to not do a journal. There were homework passes. Um, we did a pizza party before. And what I found out, and again, this is just me. This is how it worked with me. Um, I found out it didn't last. And so eventually, you know, the pizza wasn't, you know, a big deal anymore. All right, I'll just do the journal. It's not a big deal. And, um, and then I stopped it. And so I started to make things more intrinsic. I started to make, so uh, my students like to debate. So I started like 10 things, activities in the classroom as incentives versus just physical things. So if they like to debate, um, I'll say, okay, guys, if we do this, we do that, we can have the debate on Friday. And so it was more content, there was more academic type of rewards they received uh, outside of um, the more candy and the pizza. It just didn't last long. Again, for each teacher, I mean, you can do whatever you choose to do. But for me, with the high school students, they were on board for maybe two months and then eventually it kind of wore off a little bit. They tired of the, the physical things and I just started kind of incorporating and the debate, do certain books they wanted to read, so kind of incorporating with just the classroom culture. So I'm, I don't really do the reward system only because it hasn't worked for me. And I've seen it work for other teachers, but as for me, I, I kind of stood away from it because it didn't last very long um, in the classroom. So I, I think that's a really good point that you bring up, though, is that if it's not working, just stop doing it. Like trying to force something on students mm -hmm. is just is it's not authentic for you um, mm -hmm. and it doesn't help them. Like uh, mm -hmm. I, I have done any number of these things and usually my incentives just pop up nowhere. So if I notice mm -hmm. someone's doing a really great job, I might make a big deal and say, here's a homework pass or two or three, depending on how great you've been doing. Uh, because mm -hmm. just because I've been noticing you're prepared every day, you're like, you're doing your best in class. I saw you like step out of, like your comfort zone and help someone else. Mm -hmm. Like I think those things need to be called out, but largely I think as, in terms of incentives for me, it's just a quiet word on the side and pulling a student aside mm -hmm. and saying, hey, I gotta talk to you real quick. I can't even tell you how happy it makes mm -hmm. me that you are the human being that you are, that I think you are like what I, what I want the other students to become or, hey, I really noticed that thing you did the other day um, and that was really nice. Or I heard from another teacher. I, I think just those quiet words with like hand mm -hmm. on the shoulder, pat on the back, letting kids know is a lot of times, I mean, is maybe something they're not getting anywhere else, especially yeah. if they are like the fly below the radar kids, right? They're not the super good yeah. ones. They're not the super low ones that demand a lot of attention, but they're just like that guy that coasts or that girl that I, I say guys all the time. So, yeah. I, my, well, so like, but I, I think those things really, really work. And I also think it works when someone's not behaving. Pull someone aside and say, hey, I'm, just so you know, I'm noticing what you're doing and I don't really like it. I'm actually very disappointed in, in the kind of behavior that I'm seeing because mm -hmm. I know you're, you can do better than that. Or I know you're actually fantastic and you're not even letting yourself like live up to your true mm -hmm. potential. 
that mm-hmm. stuff goes a really, really long uh, because it's just you and I locking eyes and I'm communicating something mm-hmm. to you instead of like, well, it's not like in the middle of class. It's not tons of madness going on. Um, and the other real quick thing I think is I keep posted notes on my desk all the time so I can write quick notes to students like uh, keep your head up or like, I used to have these ones pictures with Tupac mm-hmm. on them and I used to just like keep your head up and I would put it on kids desks and everyone then I realized that no one knew who Tupac was and that was just a total waste of my time um, but they uh, their moms always but they so I would you know if you can write little notes to kids and say hey I just want you to know you're doing an awesome job today or like nice nice work with that answer that you put out there or job being in your group that those little things go really really long way and i don't mm-hmm. have to buy candy and rock, rock kids teeth with it so i mean that's the thing for me yeah um, I, yeah yeah i um two years ago yeah two years ago i had a class um i don't know if this was done on purpose but there were like 24 students and maybe three girls um and it was a low level reading class. And so um, it was challenging at the beginning, but here's what I did. Um, maybe after three or four months of teaching them, I got to know them. I made like little confessions or affirmations for each student. And what I did was I brought them in front of the class and I kind of told and I said the, the face, like everybody could hear these positive words. It changed everything. And I used to think when you work with high school students, you think this stuff is kind of corny, like, hmm, you know, but they actually, they love it. And so it's missing. It's missing in the home and it's just missing those positive words. And so I understand that that's, that was a good answer because I did that and it changed the dynamic of the classroom and our relationships. And so it was, it was awesome. Just those few little words that I spoke to them and they knew it was from, I was authentic and um, it changed everything. So their work ethic, everything changed after that day. Yeah. So You know what? Because I think now they're hungry for it, right? It's mm-hmm. almost like, like, you know, if uh, I'm t- I'm trying to think of like, I don't really have a good metaphor for this. I was going to use a metaphor, but I think this idea of like, if they know they can get that stuff from you in class, they know that you're going to be the teacher that is going to fill them up with that goodness. Now I want to do that in class because I, I want that. I really like when she does that, when she says those things to me. I, you know, I tell guys all the time, I'll put, I'll put myself on blast and say, look, I realize this is super corny, but you know, this it, it is how it is, and I don't know a better. I don't. I haven't been cool since 1995, so um, and I'm not even sure I was cool then. But um, our next question comes from the the Mrs. CJ, which is an interesting name since that's my first name. Uh, what kind of procedures or strategies do you use for whole class discussion? How do you ensure high levels of participation? How do you get kids to talk in your class and actually participate when you're having debates? Um. That's interesting. Again, I and we start with um, a lot of students being shy. You still get a core group of students that talk. And once they see the students, and this is what's happening now, because we start right, and I say we because I have a co-teacher in my classroom as well. We started right off with um, critical thinking, argumentative um, skills and debate skills because we're working on argumentative writing at this point. And so um, we do have, we have, students, 65% of the students start off very shy. Nobody's saying anything, and then you have the 35% that are. So we would have them. They would watch them. They would get comfortable. Because here's the thing. Um, students, to me, are students lead students. And so, yes, the teachers 
teachers are there to guide and to lead students to drive the class. So that 35% students that are very engaged, that are participating, those 65 that are not talking, they're going to sit back and watch. They, they watch everything to the students, they watch what we say. And so eventually, as we keep, and we don't put pressure on them, but we don't let them, you know, we don't let them off the slide. And so, and again, this may not be the book method, but I'm, I'm pretty tough on them. Like you guys got it. And I, and I want them to understand because even when we talk to parents, it's like, well, they don't have to be verbal. That's not, that's not a curriculum thing. My student, my kid doesn't have to talk. They shy, they don't talk. But we figure out ways to help them understand the significance of discussion and talk. Once they see the 35%, you know, enjoying it, having fun, and they see our reaction to the kids responding, then slowly, and this is exactly what's happening right now, happened today, slowly but surely, two of my shyest kids, their parents told us at the open house, listen, is this the right class for my son? Because he doesn't talk. This is just an issue we have. Spoke out of the blue. No, I, we didn't have to ask them. They raised their, and this is a huge thing for them, but they sat and they watched they sat and they watched us do it. They saw how we responded and how everybody was nice. We present a particular culture. And this is another thing. In class is about discussion and you talk a lot. You have to set a certain environment. And this is what we do at the very beginning. We have students understand there's no, we don't talk about each other. We don't talk about answers. We don't talk about way the, the way people look. If somebody somebody stumble over words like I am now. <laughs> if somebody said them, I actually had a student last year that had a huge um, stuttering issue and he spoke all the time because we created a climate that you know that allowed you to be who you were to be able to talk and so i think just that's one of the biggest things is creating the climate the kids will feel comfortable but just start some amount of students that will speak and then eventually the kids because they're watching it happens every single time they're watching and, and they're enjoying it and they're seeing the other kids are enjoying it and so we really don't have a problem as it progresses so at the very end every last but two Every last student that I had, only two last year didn't actually do it, but all the quiet, all the shy ones here, they, they did and everything. They just had to watch and had to go and confident um, in what they were doing. And so it's hard at the beginning, but we just work with our people, kind of put a little pressure on them. Uh, now, I also have it as a grade. And so I know that's not, you know, a lot of teachers may disagree with that. You know, like you can make a verbal, you know, discussion of grade, but we do that and the students really speak. And so again, that's not popular to give a kid a grade based off because we have verbal vocabulary quizzes. I don't do multiple choice quizzes. We have a discussion. Um, and I learned this from French class in, as you can say, we have a discussion board and, and for our vocabulary vocabulary and it's a grade if you don't speak you don't pass and it's worked for us again like I said some teachers are like I don't you know and and, and we've had I've had my debates and I've spoken with parents but it has worked for us and the students at the end ended up doing the vocabulary quiz and really understanding so it's just a little bit of pressure and just some classroom climate and them seeing the others to just work with the ones that are eventually that's really that's super interesting. I, I love, uh, you know, that idea of like building some climate, especially if mm -hmm. kids feel safe, they're going to, they're going to talk. And, and I, I give grades for participation as well. And that is all, all like if you, I don't, no one will ever get a hundred in participation if they refuse to talk. So mm -hmm. 
people sometimes get these really smart kids that just want to sit quietly and never say anything in class. And I have to push them. And the reason I have to push them is because you're 14 years old. I need you to get used yeah. to owning opinion and sharing that opinion. You matter. What you think matters. And so I want you to get used to like voicing that opinion and then standing up for it. Like if no one else agrees with you, you need to be ready to do that because I feel like teenagers are, I just, I feel, and maybe I'm wrong. And I'm, I don't want to make a blanket statement that like everyone's exactly the same way, but I feel like, uh, you know, I remember when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, most people, any adult that talked to me, it was always something along the lines of like, so how's school or how's baseball or how's your, you know, the play coming along, whatever it is. It, it was real basic kind of like surface talk. But when, when an adult ever asked me a question that went deeper or said, well, why do you, why is school like that? Or why do you feel that way? That just meant the world to me. Like to have someone that like, wait a minute, do you care? Like you actually want to hear me talk about this? That was such a big deal. And I want to give that back to my students. And mm -hmm. I just remember that kind of in retrospect, I realized that it helped me figure out who I was like to go, well, why do I think and feel the things I do? Like, is it just because my parents told me to, or because I saw it on TV or because, you know, I don't know, like, uh, like Kendrick Lamar is telling me that that's my viewpoint on that. Like, and instead taking a step back and trying to figure out how to do that. You know, one of the other things that you said I thought was interested is, um, students, learning from students. And I, and so my one bit of advice I would give to this question is I, as many times as I can have students lead the discussion instead of me. And then I'll sit near kids that are quiet and I'll just have a quiet conversation with them. And, and if they don't want to answer, I'll sit, I might say like, Hey, you know what? Mr. Brown over here asked me, um, he just made this really good point. And, and he, you know, I'm going to share it for him just because I think it was such a great idea. And I think that helps kids to feel safe also because it's one of their peers that's up there leading the conversation. And I'm given the opportunity to like sit with someone who's not feeling so comfortable and help them get there. So yeah, that's just one of my like tricks that I do that the kids don't even realize. I, they think I'm just trying to chill while they like, you know, so they can do work for me, but it's like all part yeah. of my master plan all the time. <laughs> Learning about life asked, how do you get over procedures in high school or how do you go over procedures in the high school setting? I feel young grades have them practice again and again, but I can't seem to get my students doing that. Any advice? So how do you get your kids to do like, how do you get them to own those procedures and, and do them every single time? Do you have a, like a tactic for that? Um, I, I don't because I, the conversation, the discussion does it. Um, our, our machine at the school is down. And so I haven't had, we've been in school for two weeks. I have no syllabus yet. I still don't. And so why am I mentioning that? Because that's what, that's the procedure based. So what I decided to do was just sit and again, discuss and talk with the kids. I don't have a cell phone policy. Um, I just ask you, I, Hey, I don't want to see the cell phones, put the cell phones away. I don't see them. So again, I've seen certain teachers that have, um, I don't know what you call the little things where you put them away. And again, that's good to each his own, but I haven't had that. Like I'm not a procedure type person because it just works the conversation, the discussion I have with the students just work. I don't have a cell phone issue because 
they just respect me enough to say, okay, put the cell phones away. We're Miss Tanner's room. But it's all because of those two days of team building and just a little bit of strictness. Uh, all teachers are different. I'm at this being real, you know, just being honest. I don't have like a procedure for cell phones. Um, I don't even do seating arrangements. Like I don't, they don't, I don't have a seating chart. So we change all the time, the classroom seating. So I don't have like those procedure type things because, you know, I say no cell phones. I don't see them. Um, no profanity in the classroom. They, a couple of them may slip, but I'm sorry. You know, and it's just the respect that I'm able to gain off those two, um, those two days. And just in, throughout the week, just being honest and open with the students, they just trust. And again, they're in high school and I explain to them, guys, you're 16 years old. If I'm asking you to put the cell, see, I talk to them just like I talk to an adult. All I'm doing is asking to put the cell phone away for 49 minutes. I don't have to have a, a choice, you know, to explain that to you. And, and they get it. And that's what people don't understand about high school students and middle school students. If you have a relationship, again, you still have your ones that want to challenge you. I'm not saying that every all my kids are perfect and they listen to me every single time. But I just don't have procedures in place to add to because within the team building and the relationship building, Simply say, you know, put the cell phones away. Oh, sorry, Miss Tanner, and, and it's a, it's just a. So I haven't had to do that. Um, I haven't had to, I haven't had to do that. Um, the procedures, any of them really. Um, yeah, the discussion based, nothing. I haven't had to do anything. They just sort of kind of listen. But again, I've been in my school. What happens is word travels throughout the school. So once you build a reputation for yourself, kids automatically come in knowing. And that's the funny thing because at the beginning of the year, they're trying to figure out, okay, you have, who do you have? What type of teachers is she? Oh, she's strict. Oh, she's nice. And they figure that out before they even walk in the classroom. And so that's another thing too. When you build a reputation, then it's automatic. The kids just auto again, and they watch other kids do it. And so if yeah. somebody pulls out a cell phone and I call them out, then it sets a tone for the rest of the class not to pull out the cell phone if they, again, I have different approaches and I have different approaches to certain things. And so like, it may not be, you know, by the textbook and what a lot of people agree with to a certain, you know, in a certain extent, but I really don't have, I, can, I don't have like a set procedure I use for certain things because just the simple has worked for me um, in the past and now. So but, but I think what, what I'm kind of like, um, I don't know another word for it either, but like the kind of vibe that I'm picking up is that you seem like a very consistent person and you don't seem afraid, right? And I think that those mm -hmm. are are really a big deal. I remember like my first year, I think a lot of the things that did with my first year were because I was like, there were kids that I let intimidate me. Like they, I would get like some kind of death stare from someone. I'd go, oh, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't really know what's going to happen there. And now I just like, I'm not afraid of anyone. And I tell the kids that like, I, I want this to be the best class of the day. You can't be on your cell phone if this is going to be the best mm -hmm. class of the day, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, because you're going to be distracted and your head is somewhere else. I'm going to be completely selfish because I know what's right. I'd be so selfish that I want all of your attention on me mm -hmm. for the next hour or whatever, to 50 minutes or our period. And it's just kind of like that humor mixed in like the consistency and like the no fear really helps me net. I, I very rarely to deal with like things like cell phones. And if I do, the, the content are so ridiculous that no one ever wants to do it. So mm -hmm. if I take your cell phone, I'll do a couple of different things, right? I will 
wrap it in paper towels, and then I wrap it in tape like a hundred times, and then at the end of the day, I give it back to you, and every no one's ever gotten mad at me. They're always like, are you serious? Like, yeah. check my text messages. I need to tell all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, man, it's like, it's like evil Christmas. And, or I'll tell them that, uh, like, I'll hide it in my bookcases. I have all these bookcases on my wall, and you have one minute to find your phone at the end of the day, and if you can't find it, then I'm gonna, you know, there, there's gonna be some kind of repercussion after that. And that kind of like ridiculousness really, it helps me a lot. Plus letting like not being afraid of students. I have very few mm -hmm. issues as well, but I think mm -hmm. it's, I think that reputation piece part as well. When you can get students that in the beginning of the year, I make myself as public as possible. I wanna be out in the hallway before school, after school, in between classes. And when my freshmen, see me talking to all the guys on the football team that they look up to or the guys in the wrestling team that they look up to or someone mm -hmm. that's cool because they're like in the hip hop outside of school and they know who they are and they like me, that just shines a positive light on me. And, and, and those guys will often say like, this is Reynolds, this is my guy, don't mess around in his class. Mm -hmm. And that really works. And for me, mm -hmm. like it seems, it can seem so petty because like I need, like cause that's, because I'm trying to like gain importance from students based on like who I hang out with or who will stick up for me, but I'll take anything I can get. I, I'm not I'm not above almost anything as long as like you know you see yeah that guy had a great experience in my class. You should have a great experience in yeah. my class too. Now like let's get to it and yeah and make this awesome. So exactly yeah. Uh, what do you what's your question? Uh, Queen Della Classroom is asking. Are there any tips for substitutes regarding classroom management? Did you ever substitute? I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. Were you ever a substitute teacher? Yes, I was a substitute teacher um, yeah. before I got my certification. And How did you deal with your management for that? Um, and I didn't have very many assignments. <laughs> I didn't last too long with it um, because I eventually got into the College of Educate, the program itself. Um, I didn't have the younger ones because I, I did it for, for so I had the the younger kids and so I really didn't have any classroom management. I think um, though for substitute teachers, it's it's I know it's challenging um, again because you're coming into a classroom you don't know the teachers. So what I would do, and this is what some of my favorite substitute teachers did when I was in school and they were very memorable. You kind of talked about like life with the students. You kind of again mixed in. You didn't come right in with what the teacher gave you. I mean, not saying you don't do that, but if the teacher has a movie, typically what the teachers had for me were movies. You know, like throwing them, unfortunately, it was like just throwing a movie or what have you just to keep the kids quiet. So uh, my favorite substitute teachers, they would just come and talk, talk about what happened, something, current event, and they kind of up a kind of, re, uh, again, relationship. So you may only see them one time, um, but it's kind of difficult when you don't have a, if the teacher doesn't have a set, plan. Now, if the teacher has a set plan, then you can probably be okay with just doing the plan management if you can figure out to about the kids or kind of talk to them about different things and not the content with whatever time you have, you can kind of open up there. But unfortunately, um, substitute teaching is a challenge when it comes to classroom management, especially if you have a the core teacher that has problems. So if the core teacher have problems with management, then 
the teachers just falling behind, you know. And but I'm not saying here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you have kids that behave, you know, poorly with the sub, that you're a bad teacher. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if they're kind of set, if they don't respect their core teacher, then it's just going to be an issue coming in. So that's that's a tough one. Substitute teaching is. I mean, you're going into a school, you don't know what the administration is like, you don't know what the discipline, you don't know what the teacher is like. And so you're in front of kids that you've never seen and you may never see after this period. So what they did, what my favorite substitute teachers did was that just that. They would talk about, you know, different things, Karen, things that we wouldn't necessarily talk about in the classroom because of content. They just kind of used it for that, for the opportunity to get to know the kids and just talk about themselves and have the kids talk about who they were. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think, first of all, I would say I, I always I get I always hear from folks that say things like thinking about becoming a teacher. So I decided to substitute first, and I think that's the worst idea that you can do. It'll just make you not like teaching because it's not your class, and you don't know those students. And like you said, you very well may never see those students again. So there's mm -hmm. not a real there's not a real incentive for them to to, to respect you. So I think, one, just don't take it so seriously. Like, it's, it's mm -hmm. all right. If something goes awry, as long as no one, like, catches on fire, you're going to be all right. And you're essentially, the school knows that. I think they know you're essentially babysitting the students for the day. But, yeah, yeah like, I, I agree with what you said as well in terms of take ownership of it. Try something. Like, mm -hmm. come up with a couple of, like, instead of watching a movie, like, yeah. if you know that's a movie that's a total throwaway uh, because – Sometimes it might be lesson-based, right? If you're reading the Odyssey and they have you watch something like Troy, they, there are a couple of things you can pull out of that. But if it's a total throw moment and, you know, the kids are watching Iron Man or something, then, yeah, maybe uh, have a conversation about that movie or or even set it up that way. Right? Like, And then be a presence in the class. Like, don't just sit at the teacher's desk and or hide in the corner. Like, I would go and sit near kids and talk to them and, and interact yeah. with students and that make it more fun for you too because right that's what they're for is to get is to build these relationships with students start practicing as a substitute as well uh indie kitty one asked you have books that you can't let kids read is there anything that's off limits in your classroom in terms of like books that students want to read or do you have any rules of that um off limits as in uh, I guess uh, I guess your personal <clears throat> beliefs or choices or like is there anything so, so for myself I know I get money every year so it's like the only thing I get money for at school is uh, I can order independent reading books for my students so I can oh. order anything the students want to read and mm -hmm. I often tell my students that there are there are no parameters. Now, I say that knowing that, like, every once in a while, I'll get some crazy book that I'm like, bro, like, I'm not ordering this for you because it's like, so, because um, a couple of years ago, when Straight Off Compton, the movie came out, uh, I had a student uh -huh. never, ever, ever read, but who wanted, uh, who was, I want to say it was Ice Cube's autobiography after that or something like that. So I, I order it for him. And he reads that, and then he wants to read Dr. Dre's autobiography. I order that for him because this kid has never, ever read a book. He had a very low reading level, and it was, for me, you could read almost anything you want. And if you're reading for a sustained period of time every day, 
he also had really bad ADHD and was not medicated or anything. But if mm-hmm. he can sit down and read for 20 minutes, I felt like we won the day. Like, you, you can get whatever you want. But that, some of the books, eventually, we kind of, like, went through everything that was known, and they started trailing off into this, like, world of, like, books that it just, it wasn't anything that I felt like was healthy. And I just made the, the personal choice and said, like, mm-hmm. no, I don't, I, like, if you want to read that, I'm not going to tell you, no, like, talk to your mom about it. But in my class, I can't have, like, at some point, my kids got to eat. So if the principal comes in and sees you read something that I'm going to get in trouble for, like, you know, yeah, kids are going to starve. And then I look like a bad dad and I don't get a, you know, Father's Day gift. So it's really about me. Yeah. But do you have anything that you don't allow the students to read, or, or do you deal with that kind of thing? If so, I'm sorry. You said I'm sorry. You said what? Well, I, I apologize. I can't. Yeah, it's breaking up a little bit. But um, do you have any stu- any books that you don't let kids read, or like, uh, are you how are you selective so that kids have books that you want them to read? Well. Um, I teach English, and so we also have um, intensive reading teachers, which most of my students have. And so, um, believe it or not, the English teachers were just um, allowed to really have, like, independent reading in class. Mostly that was um, dependent upon the reading teacher uh, with the, like, the lit circles and things like that. But this is the first year that we, because we really focused on writing, so I really never had the issue of students outside of what we had to read for the, the district, of course. I really didn't have, I never did a lit circle or independent reading in a sense of you choosing your own book and be reading in class. That was something that our intensive reading teachers did. And so I, I, um, I don't know about restrictions. I, I mean, that's an interesting question because I mean, students are allowed to read, I guess what, what they want in a sense of their parents and things like that. Now, this is a very, sketchy question for me um, and if I'm allowed to say this and this is just going to be real I, I'm a Christian I'm a Christian okay. teacher and so in my you know in my, in my mind <laughs> I want to you know be careful of what I expose to you understand what I mean? and so as even though I have to figure out a way to, and this has been a challenge for me, have to figure out a way to kind of not separate Christianity because I don't do that. I'm, I'm a teacher, but I would say that I really want necessarily want to open up religious books, if you understand what I mean by that, only because we have different religions. But if a parent is allowing their kid to read, you know, it's just it's a, it's a complicated thing for me. I've never really had to address or kind of deal with an issue of should kids be allowed to do this or that, um, or read this type of book or this type, that type of book. Now, reading level, I saw somebody question asking about um, would they allow would I allow to read below their reading level for like just interest? And I don't necessarily see a problem with that if it's just independent reading and, and so forth. But of course, you want to challenge them with with um, reading level and beyond. But this is that's an interesting question for me because I'm just going to be honest with you. I have to watch the content that I expose my students to because, yeah, I don't know. This is the, that's that's interesting. And especially with so many things going on, so many changes in the school system. It's just an interesting question because the kids can read what they want of their parents. But as a teacher, I still want to watch what I allow them to read. If you understand what I mean by that. And so, I don't know. That's a very, um, that's a very interesting, interesting question. So, so I would say to that one, um, talk about anything you want and I, I, I 
like so I, I realize that some topics are kind of like guarded for folks but if you feel like you want to talk about that like you know, mm -hmm. go for it I, I love it um two i think you know being so to create some transparency here um i also am a christian and i think that those sometimes the thing the things that students choose to read is it something i would read is it something i want to engage with maybe not but i do think it allows a platform for me to not not necessarily like push my views on students but to say like um it, it gives you a point to really talk too deep with kids about things. So, like, if they read a book and they say, so, uh, you know, my one guy that was written all, everything he could about NWA, you know, you know that uh, Suge Knight, so he was real hooked on Suge Knight, who was, like, this producer who was, like, a real devious character. And we kind of talked about how, like, realize, like, if you go down that route, like, there's no a lot of times there's no coming back from that or if you are that kind of like if that's how you mean success is by like beating people up or bribing them or being a thug that really is like it's damaging to you as well as a human being and and i'm and i, I in no way want to try like to impart my beliefs on my students in terms of me saying what i believe and that's mm -hmm. right i i do I try and live that out instead of? And I think there's a lot of. Uh, I think when students are reading things, there, it does create a lot of space for you to be able to talk about a lot of different, um, a lot deeper. And so that's. I think that's part of the reason I'm not afraid of like what the students read so much, because mm -hmm. it's like, that's what you're into. Well, that's interesting. Like, tell me why. I'm interested in like, you know, why, why you do that or why you're interested in that and. Um, and, and not shying away from those conversations. Uh, it's just, it's fun. Because I think kids don't ever expect that or see that coming. It's like, wait, yeah. you actually want to talk about, you know, whatever uh, kind of weird thing I'm into? Yep, I actually, I absolutely do because I'm mm -hmm. fascinated by you. Um, Fatima Osman asked, uh, when, you, when you all classes for teaching during undergrad, were those classes useful? And is there anything you learned from that that transferred into the classroom? Uh, I think that's a great question. When you were going to school for education, was there, did you feel like that was all useful information? And if not, like what what came out of that that maybe was useful to the way with you? Undergrad? She yeah. said undergrad? <laughs> um, I mean, I was an English major in undergrad, and so I'm an English teacher I, I have to be honest um, not, unfortunately not for teaching um, I mean it was wonderful as far as the literature and learning and, and different things but it wasn't I, no <laughs> I mean my college of ed was very useful but just the undergrad classes um, no it wasn't it wasn't and so um But I also tell them to make sure that they go, they're going for a reason because of that very reason that you're going to be taking classes that really don't matter for even if, speaking of undergrad, that really don't pertain to what you're going to do. But no, Michigan State is an awesome school and I love it. Um, but undergrad year wasn't very um, effective in regards to what I'm doing right now. And so um, even though I was an English major and again, it was 
writing and reading different types of literature and different things like that. But um, the College of Ed had more to do with what I'm doing now, the department, than just my regular undergrad school year. So yeah, it's kind of a no for me. That's funny. I, I mean, I graduated with a degree in English first, and then I had to go back. And um, and I felt like I was completely unprepared. I, I like knew I knew how to have a conversation, and I knew how to draw information out of what I was reading. That, like, I became a more active reader instead of just reading stuff and then showing up to class saying, yeah, I read it. I don't know what I read, but I did it. And I think that was probably the biggest thing. And then as not necessarily part of a class, I had a professor once tell me that when you start, like when you start teaching or whatever job you get into, don't wait to start being the best. Like you should go in and start trying to be great immediately. Don't like wait until you have tenured or wait until, you know, you know your, your job is kind of safe. Like just hit the ground running. And that has always been something I benefited from. Uh, do this one first before that one. Okay, so next question is, I'm gonna say Budone is, is the name. It says, can you share a method for memorizing students' names? How long does it take you to match all names of students? You did this, you picked this question to make fun of me, didn't you? My, my wife is picking questions next to me. She helped me with this stuff. But is there a way that you use to memorize students' names? And, and that's the challenge I have because I don't have a seating chart. And so oh. it's crazy that I'm dealing with that very issue. Now I have 151 students. And so what's happening is I'm learning names because you have your outspoken ones. Some students are, I'll try to remember, um, like one student has my cousin's name. So I'll try to, I'll remember him because it's my cousin. I try to do little things like that. But as far as just, you know, an outright procedure, no, I just have to figure it out. When they start handing in work, and different things and because we have discussions a lot too i learn it that way and sometimes before they speak i have them say their names at the just at the beginning of the year so they say hey i mean she give her response that way but i don't have a, a, a really because they don't have a seating chart which is one of the biggest reasons why they have them so you can remember names but i just um i just learn them as we go so i'm learning names now so i remember because you all spoken i remember sometimes by hairstyles some of them have unique names. I remember it that way. But now I remember so I turn in work. And when I hand it back out, I'll match it up. So I'm just learning by just going through the days and through the weeks. I don't I don't have another way because I don't do the seating chart. And so yeah. that's how I pretty much pick. And it takes me a while. Um, I still don't know all of my students. It's been two weeks. And so it'll probably be <laughs> September along somewhere along that lines when I learn all 151 by heart. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I think, you know, this, this one's funny for me because I think on the one hand, it's important to know every single kid's name, right? You don't want anyone to know or to figure out that like you haven't figured out their name or, and when kids do have very unique names, the, the right pronunciation of, of things can really make someone either feel comfortable or feel slighted if I don't say it the correct way. So I'm very upfront with students on the front end on that first day when I'm right before I even read the role I say I want you to know that I'm not trying to make fun of anyone I'm very bad with names and for that reason for the last 12 years I've been coming up with nicknames for students which I've kind of always done in my life anyway but it's something that's worked out to my benefit where like last year I had a student um, 
that had I had twins. Twin I had four sets of twins last year and it was maddening because they looked exactly and we're a uniform school, so it's like you're you're killing me when you dress like this because everyone's dressed the same, everyone looks the same. So I started uh just like picking out something about someone. So one kid had red hair and the other kid had like his more natural color hair. So just called him red, right? And then and then and they just the more ridiculous the nickname, the more they love it. And I have I just and then I get kids that like, you know, poor Tony, who has a totally regular name that I, that or rather a name that I'm more used to that I kind of grew up with. Uh, I could say your name, so you don't get a nickname, and Tony will come to me like at the end of the year, like, you know, Mr. Reynolds, you call everyone else something like really, really cool, but <laughs> I used to call Tony, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, I didn't realize this is hurting people's feelings. Like, I'll come up with a nickname for you then, yeah. and that that's just my little benefited that. Because what I don't want to do is get to a point where we're um, like uh, two weeks in, and I can't even pronounce your name right, or I for- keep forgetting how to do it because that just. I, I just me feel bad for the students, so I, I just I just cheat and I make up my own names for students, and, and that's how I get there. We'll do that one first. Okay, so I have two questions that kind of, and we're almost at an hour, so we'll finish up these last few. But I have two questions that kind of tie into one another. Uh, the one question on here was, I saw you. Oh, talk to your students about racism and how do you approach it with them? And then the other question that kind of is close to that is. How do you deal with current issues respectfully in your classroom? So do you have the room in your school to be able to talk about these, like with anything that was happening in Charlottesville or or anything that's happening in the last few years, especially in the news? Um, can you talk about that stuff in school? And if so, how do you how do you approach that stuff? Um, yeah, we talk about it. Um, and we actually did a little bit on Charlottesville. Um, and we, I mean, it's continuing, but um, it's interesting because I have a very diverse group of students, um, Hispanic, African-American, um, white, um, is majority Hispanic and African-American. And we have to read every year we read uh, Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail. So that's kind of how we're able to bring it up through content. Um, and we spend like a month, almost a month and a half on it. And. We start off by speeches and quotes. So we start off with, you know, doing the historical figures. We, we talk about the quotes and the, um, the eventual discussion. It's been interesting because this generation, in my opinion, are a little bit desensitized or a little bit insensitive to some of the, the you know, the things that are happening. And this is a, this was an issue for me because it almost seemed like they don't care about it. But, um, it's not that they don't care, they don't necessarily understand. And so, so what I do was figure out a way to for them to see the significance. Now, I'm an African-American teacher. Obviously, we see students come and say, you're the first African-American female teacher I've been in my entire life. And so that's kind of one of the things that, that sort of opened up the discussion about perceptions and biases and things of that nature. But we talk about racism, and I don't have very many white students in my classroom, but it's funny because sometimes I'm trying to figure out how they're taking, you know, what, how, you know, what, how they're perceiving. This year specifically, we have a very diverse group of students. And it's interesting because the students have no problems with, you know, the, we're talking about racism, we talk about Charlottesville and we have to say white versus 
black or what have you. The, the white students are just in there like, you know, I disagree or I've had a couple that have a different perspective, but the students don't have a make. It's not a big, if they get into a, they don't get into an argument, but if they do, it's just a little bit more, believe it or not, they're more, how can I put it? They do better with this discussion than I think adults. And I'm saying that because not necessarily my generation, but the generation before me when this all started. I mean, this all started many years ago, but I'm saying I grew up in the 50s and the 60s. So he sees this issue differently than I do, and then they see it differently. So it's just a generational thing. But they deal with this better than some adults do. And so we talk about, it comes up all the time. We talked about Charlottesville. Of course, we talked about what happened. We talked about the man that drove the car into the, into the, um, into the crowd. And, and um, we talked about um, some of the victims, the people that were hurt. We saw some, we saw the kid with the KKK outfit on. We talked about all of that. And, and all the students were very open and honest about, you know, how they felt and what they believe. But again, I, because they haven't experienced it, they don't know what it's like to, you know, not be able to sit in a certain way. And we asked them how many of you guys actually had, you know, experienced racism. Very few raised their hand. And I'm not sure if that has been interesting, but we always talk about those issues because we believe it's important and it's something that they will have to understand and in the future, um, they, they will have to look into in the future. And so we don't shy away from it. Um, and it's funny, my co-teachers are white male. And it's the mo it's the funniest thing to see when we have a discussion and something is said. Me. You know, it's just saying we have a white male teacher and we have this African-American female teacher. And when differences are brought up, they're looking to see what our responses are going to be. So yeah. it's, it's interesting because um, um, my co-teacher, he's on board a lot of things and he's, they're looking at him thinking that he's going to, believe a certain way so opposite and so it's just a, it's a it's it's a lot happening but we talk about racism um it comes up because it's just in the media it's, it's in the conversations it's in our curriculum um and to my surprise it's in the curriculum and so and it stays it's in the curriculum the thing is that i have a um another teacher that's a 10th grade teacher we read the mlk letter from birmingham jail now this is a white male teacher he says he feels uncomfortable <laughs> we're talking about the issue only because he doesn't feel credible if you understand what i mean so everybody have different everybody have different you know just different reasons behind it i don't shy away from whether i taught all blacks or whatever all whites is something that i teach i taught black history um i do black history projects and different things like that and the students are very receptive at first i thought that was going to be an issue why are we learning about black history why don't we learn about hispanic why don't, you know it's just many things that come up with the students that have been very good with with under with learning different things and so um so i it's it's great for us i don't we don't have an issue with with talking about it and students have never got into a major you know controversy and the you know debate or fuels about the issue the topic they are pretty pretty when they're talking about it and it's pretty amazing yeah it's i I think when, so those conversations are very interesting in my class, especially in the beginning of the year when the students don't know who I am. And I teach at a school that is, we're about 99.9% .9 African-American students in my school. There's like 
one white kid, one Asian kid, and one Pakistani kid that we pull in for all the brochures so we can look eclectic. But like, if you walk in the doors, you see like it's inner city Philadelphia, and and I. I really love that. Like I, I used to, it used to make me nervous. We used to read a uh, narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, which would be like a, kind of a weird book to read with students, um, especially with some of the language and you have the slave owners and how they're like interacting with their slave. And the students would look at me like, is this like, are you cool with reading this? And, and I think, yes, because one, I don't shy away from any conversation ever that the students are interested in largely i mean every once in a while someone wants to throw some kind of wild stuff out there but um but largely it's like nope i'll talk about white privilege i'll talk about you know like i get it i get the fact that i am a white american who grew up in a middle-class household my neighbor growing up my best friend growing up his dad had uh confederate flags all over the house they were like civil war reenactment folks right and so i've been i i know where I grew up, but what I'm trying to do is never trying to impress my opinions or my thoughts on my students. I'll play, I'll play like uh, the role where like I want to kind of like agitate them sometimes to back because I think that pushback in a safe space is really healthy because it's going to help the kids explore deeper what they're thinking. But more than anything, I just want to air it out. I want kids to Put it out there. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Because what ends up happening is, is there's a couple of different things that I don't ever that I I push back at. One is the use of the word they, right? So this gets used all the time. So, so especially when we had all these um, young like kids essentially that were especially after like the Trayvon Martin case, there mm-hmm. was a lot of these situations where like the police were brutalizing or killing young black men and. So students would come in and they're, they're pissed and they're saying things like, well, they do this or they do that. And I would say, hold on a second. Like, okay, but let's, let's unpack that. Like, let's see, like, what, what do we really mean? Like, let's not use the surface level of vocabulary, but I want to go deeper with this. And then another thing that I'll get a lot of times is Mr. Reynolds, you're the blackest white guy I've ever known. And I just, I stop it. Cause I'm like, I, I, I see what we're doing, right? I see this is a compliment, but I don't want to be. I want to be, you know, I, I just want to be a guy that you know or a white guy that you know because what that's going to do is it's going to, like, once you have a connection point with the person that you hate so much or, or the race that you hate so much, like, it puts a stop to a lot of things or it at least makes you rethink a lot of stuff. So I tell the guys that, like, my neighbor that was racist growing up that had all the Confederate flags all over his yard, if he had one black friend, it would have changed everything. It would have changed so much. Maybe not everything, but he didn't. He lived in his little bubble with and associated with only people that thought just like him. And I look mm-hmm. so what I try and do is like um, to that end, have a number of different speakers through the year come in and talk with my guys about all kinds of different stuff so that they're getting not just someone that's like just looks and thinks the way that they do, um, mm-hmm. kind of regurgitating the same old thing every time. But like, no, someone's going to push back. Someone that's going to be brave, courageous, and challenge you on your ideas. And maybe you're right, but I want you to know you're right because you like tested that idea in the fire. You didn't just like hear your dad say it, or uncle, or a song. Like it's been 
tested, it's been proven. And, and I think that those conversations are the best. Anything that kind of we're talking about here are some of the best moments in teaching during the year because it's mm. real stuff that kids yeah. actually care about. And then when I can take that and turn it into this is just Lord of the Flies or this is just like uh-huh. the Odyssey and bring it back to the lesson, it's mm. like I feel proud of myself that really but you know that's that's that uh okay do you have time for just one more i know we're going a little bit long but that was a really good question um Cassie is asking for our last one if you have one piece of advice to your students would it be what's your one piece of advice for your students hmm. that's a lot right yeah that's a lot um I would say do whatever they can. Well, no, I put it this way. Well, I would tell them do whatever they can to find out their life. And because this goes beyond English, goes beyond school, um, the school system. But I want them to see the value outside, after school is over. Like, again, my, um, my mentor always talks about I mean, you, from ages what at five through eighteen, you're in school. The most of your life is going to be spent as an adult, and so you kind of have to figure out what your purpose. Is. So I did a post um, yesterday. I had one of my former mentees, and I have several students come in and they talk about you know going to this college and so forth. And and I tell them that's pretty much what's most important to them at, at, at this point. I'm not necessarily concerned about getting an A-plus in English class, I'm really concerned about them one day discovering who they really are that person. And so that'll be my, and, and this is what we teach throughout, and this is why I don't just teach content, and I, why I, do, I just don't teach English. I really want them to focus on understanding who they are and their value and finding out really what they're supposed to do in life. I mean, teaching is my purpose, and I, and I found that in early age. I knew I wanted to always be a teacher, and I took that away from me. And so while I passed some good teachers School, but initially the goal is to find out really what you're supposed to do and really school is supposed to help you do that and so uh, really that's the purpose of school is to help you find out who you really are and find out your purpose and so if I could just tell my students do whatever you can and you know follow instructions get mentors listen to the people who really love you and to figure out really what it is you're supposed to be doing with your life um, um, after school and just here on out so that'll be my biggest thing is my students, I really do want them to to find a purpose, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's I, th- I think that's that's really important, and I and I would say to that end, um, I would tell students work hard. Every mm-hmm. single thing you do, you have to work hard at. So even if it's your passion, even if you're like a great singer, like no one ever became great by doing some work, right? Like, I mean, because I think sometimes students can get tricked into that in high school where there's that, and we all have had this student that like didn't really do any work this year, but somehow they still got a good grade because they were able to just like, I don't know, they're like a sponge and they just like soak it up. But if you want to have a good marriage, work hard at it. If you want to be a great electrician, work hard on it. If you want to have six pack abs, no one ever chilled and got six pack abs like out of nowhere. You had to work for it. So if you want to have great children, you got to work hard for it. And with all that stuff, like, you know, um, if you want to have a great life, you 
have to have to have to work hard for it. And that is something that like, if my students can take that away, they can apply that to any facet of their life and it will benefit them um, in some way, shape or form. So that's that, Miss Tanner, that was a really, really great conversation. And um, I I thought we got to talk about a lot of like important stuff that I hope is bringing value to people. before we go, could you just tell folks like if they like what they heard here, like where find you on social media so they could kind of follow along with your story? Oh, you said my social media information. Is that what you said? I'm sorry, because it's kind of um, yes. I'm on um, Instagram. It's at Teach Miss Tanner. Uh, teach M S Tanner. I put it in the. Um, I try to type I'll, it I'll in. Link, I'll link it in the description box as well. Okay, you put it in there. Stuff. And so yes, yeah, so I'm on. I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm also on Twitter with the same Teach Miss Tanner, and then Facebook. I'm on there with my name Darian Tanner, and so I'm, those are kind of the three platforms I'm on promoting teacherhood, the journey, and so. Great. Graham, as you know, <laughs> I do I do a lot of things through there. You know, working with teachers um, through Instagram, and so I'm there. Teach Miss Tanner. Great. Well, thank you so so much for being on. I really had a great time having a conversation with you. And I hope you have uh, a really great for the rest of your week this week. Huh? I, I'm just saying thank you very much, in short. Okay. Thank All you. Right. <laughs> thank All you right. for, I really appreciate you having me and allowing me to use your platform to get across some of my beliefs and principles. And so, again, you're doing great things. And, um, and thank you again for having me. You have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Your platform to get across some of my beliefs and principles. Uh Uh-oh. All right. Anyway, folks, on Thursday, I have um, from Instagram, the Unique Classroom is going to be on. You can check that out Thursday night at 8 p.m. And then kind of gearing into next month, once September hits, we're only going to be doing this on Tuesdays again. Because guess what? I got to teach again. I'm too tired to do this two days a week uh even though it's pretty effortless and i mean i'm really just talking but my kids i get showers otherwise they get become stinky kids and they won't do anything if i don't tell them to do it so thanks so much for hanging out if you have questions that go beyond this you can check me out on uh like leave your comments or questions on youtube and i'll answer everything that i can or you can uh just go watch kate the sleepy teacher who's probably going to go do a live feed right after this anyway for like 17 hours because she's like the Bruce Springsteen of you now. So guys, thanks so much for watching this. I really, really appreciate it. And I will talk to you on Thursday. Peace. And that's it for this week, gang. Look, if you ever want to have your question answered on Sunday Night Teacher Talk, all you have to do is show up at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds, and I'd be happy to answer any question that you put out there. Nothing is off the table. Thanks so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great week. Peace.